Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Craig Ellingson, sports editor at the Edmonton Journal, and this is our Oilers podcast for March 27th, 2015. With me are journal hockey writer Jim Matheson. Howdy. Journal hockey writer Joanne Ireland. Hello. And journal sports columnist John McKinnon. Hi. We're in the stretch run of a season that's coming to an end pretty soon here for the Edmonton Oilers, and our attention has turned more towards the June entry draft as, you know, as, as March almost turns into April here. And the Oilers will be scoring a high pick in it uh, here once again. And it is the Connor McDavid draft, uh, you know, being hailed as the next big thing to hit the NHL since Sidney Crosby. Uh, McDavid being the uh, right now the consensus number one player available in the draft. But we first have to hold the draft lottery. The NHL does, and there's been some cha- a change this year. They're going to hold it uh, later than they normally do, and uh, they'll hold it April 18th, first day of the playoffs, on a Saturday. They typically held it during the week, shortly after the season ended. Uh, what do you what do you think of this timing? I just want it to tie it in with the playoff games. I'm sure they'll, you know, it'll be before a playoff game or between playoff games for an hour, and you know, Sportsnet's got the rights and uh, they want to make a show out of it. So, have it on a. I don't think it makes much difference to be honest to the teams. I mean, the, the draft isn't until the end of June, so if they want to do it on a Saturday, great. They probably figured there'd be more people watching the playoffs, you know, and watching the lottery than than just the teams, uh, the fans of the teams in the lottery uh, if they have it during playoffs. Yeah, I agree. This has everything to do with television viewership. Um, TSN in the past has held a half-hour show. They did the lottery, did the draft rankings, and, you know, made a production of it, but they don't have the rights anymore, and this is Rogers paid all that cash, and this is their choice. And Hockey Night in Canada, as Maddie said, highest viewership I think they get during the course of the week, so... That was their decision, and um, as we know, TV dictates a lot of what the NHL does these days. All that money. It, it was pretty deadly dull TV to have these wooden, you know, suited uh, GMs standing around uh, hoping that their uh, their team's logo would come first out of the envelope and they'd be able to, you know, now <laughs> start planning for the draft. Uh, I mean, this way it did, you know, part of a larger package of programming that day yeah, it strikes me as a much more sensible way to do it but some people see you, you may know, still conspiracies there you may still get the same wooden guys <laughs> i was gonna say that might whether it's change. whether it's between between hockey games or before a playoff yeah. game then on a tuesday night uh, sitting in a tsn studio but uh, you're right there'll be i don't know i presume all 14 teams that missed the playoffs will have some representative there now sitting on a dais you know hoping that their team's 
uh, logo is picked long before it gets to number one. You know, we and I, John, were talking earlier today about the draft and what's you know happening moving forward. You know, the draft is going to change next year in terms of the weighting of you know the, whoever finishes last gets uh, X whatever the percentage chances of picking number one and whatnot. But uh, I don't know. You know, the draft is you know has such a big interest, and uh, we'll see what happens on April 18th. But in the future, would, would we want to see even more changes to the draft? Would we want to see something along the lines of what happened in the lockout year when Crosby was taken where, hey, throw everybody's name into the hat and give even give one of the top teams a chance to pick a number one just to dissuade, you know, what, you know, the tanking that seems to be going on among some of the teams near the bottom, like the Buffalo uh, I think, Sabres I and think the Arizona you could, Coyotes. I think you could do it. They didn't do it in the Crosby thing. You know, they missed a full year. That's why they, they had the Crosby thing. I think there still would have to be some, quote, reward for finishing 30th. Somebody else could pick first, but maybe the team that finished 30th would pick no worse than second, even if there's a lottery. So they're, not, they're just not getting the first pick. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do it this year. I mean, McDavid has been the big name out there for the last two or three years, and they could have probably opened it up to all 30 teams and said, you're all in it. And now you've got, you know, for the NHL, you've still got three teams you know, who are considerably behind everybody else. And, um, you know, I found it interesting that last night in Buffalo played Arizona. Buffalo plays, you know, Matt Hackett, who's got a 4.34 goal average against Arizona, the team that they're closest to, and Arizona plays their number one goalie, Mike Smith. So pretty obvious that Buffalo was not, you know, trying to win the game because Lindback, their other goalie, was standing on his head for the last seven, eight games, so. Teams are uh, maneuvering, and if you open it up to everybody, then uh, there wouldn't be that. I mean, it's pretty blatant. You have, uh, you know, fans cheering goals by the opposition in Buffalo, groaning when Brian Gianna ties the game up late in the game, I think it was, and then uh, cheering when, uh, you know, Sam Gagne wins the game for Arizona. Um, those, they, they have changed the percentages. It's, it's a 20%. If you're last overall, you have a 20% chance of, of getting the first pick as opposed to 25. That's not that big a change. Obviously, Buffalo's intention is that they figure if they finish last, they pick no no worse than second. And the, the given what's on on offer this year, that seems to be worth it. So that would suggest that this is basically a sham, that, that it's still worthwhile to try to finish way at the bottom. And so, and the NHL, as far as I can tell, has drawn a distinction. Uh, beat and their lawyers, keep in mind, at head office, they've drawn a distinction between players and coaches at ice level actually trying to lose, and organizations jerry-rigging their roster so it's very unlikely it would win. Two different things. And um, but nonetheless, you have this spectacle of <laughs> in the Buffalo. It's, it's most pronounced. But Arizona's had, what they won two games in the last twenty or something leading up to last night. I mean, you know, it gets to be a, a joke. And you're selling tickets. You're you're uh, trying to grow the game. This is how you do it. It'll be a huge crowd uh, when Buffalo's in Arizona shortly. I'm sure they'll be <laughs> packing them in that night uh, for a guaranteed win night for Arizona. At least Arizona traded their best players. Part of that is, you know, they traded their number one center, Vermette, and they traded a really good defenseman, Mikhailik. 
Uh, they traded their second best defenseman, Yandel. So they kind of gutted their team of their, you know, probably you know three of their top six, seven players. So you know, Buffalo's been bad most of the year, and so obvious that they were tanking it when they traded their first string goalie and their second string goalie at the trading deadline. Uh, you know, not even keeping one of them, they traded them both to get draft picks and pretty obvious they want to get McDavid and if they don't get McDavid I don't know what's going to happen Tim Murray may jump off a roof because it seems pretty obvious he wants McDavid and nobody else uh, and if they don't get McDavid I guess Eichel's a pretty good consolation prize for him but they want McDavid yeah I was surprised I, I looked at the NHL standings back from the, in December when the orders were firmly in last place and Buffalo was I recall easily ten points ahead of the orders, and now look where we are now. I mean, obviously the orders made some changes, and all those trades came down the pipe. But all I say is, if the season was one month, one month mo- longer, Toronto would finish thirtieth. Yeah. They're embarrassing. I mean, they don't win any games now. They, you know, they've got the fewest points since. And they don't sell their games out either. Apparently, first of January, the orders got like thirty-five points or something, and <laughs> Toronto's got like twelve or fourteen or something. Yeah. So, the, I mean, that's totally embarrassing. The, this is this is, I mean, for, just for perspective here, we now had uh, Tom Wilson fined today two th- two grand for diving, because diving is a scourge. Diving's got to go. If you're diving, you're embarrassing the game. It's it's absolutely horrible. Or PK Subban got a three grand fine. However, if a team is tanking, they get a chance, perhaps a wonderful chance, at Connor McDavid. That's ridiculous. So, so the the spectacle of, of of selling a product, selling crap to fans, in in this case, like three or four different cities, this particular season, that's okay as long as we can't have actual hard evidence that the players themselves are losing on purpose. But for a, a player to embellish a hooking call or something, well, we, the NHL can't live with that. Are you crazy? We've got to get rid of that. Is a blight. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's totally, totally so. And I can see why Buffalo is cheering for, for McDavid because I'm pretty sure that Terry Pagula, the owner, worked out a deal this year where Erie did play some games in Buffalo. So at least the Buffalo fans have seen this kid up close and personal a couple of times. So. They want him, and John is totally right. That diving is, is got to go. And that PK Subban with that eight million dollar salary, those three thousand dollar fines, that's gonna really hit him hard. Yeah, no trips to the candy store for PK or something. Uh, I'll stick, you know, kind of with the draft sort of prospects. You know, the owners won't be playing past April 11th, but uh, some of their prospects will be the farm team, but uh, also Darnell Nurse and Leon Drysidel. We should expect to see them playing well into April uh, with their uh, major junior teams. Uh, Nurse with uh, the Sioux Greyhounds of the OHL and Drysaddle with the WHL's Kelowna Rockets. And uh, I've got a couple of talk about questions for you guys. So talk to me about that. What are we? What are we looking for from these two players in the playoffs? Well, Darnell Nurse's team could win the. Everybody talks about McDavid's team in Erie, but the Sioux Greyhounds finished considerably better than them and they toasted them a while back six to one so they got a better team than Erie they could be in the Memorial Cup as the Ontario representative and Kelowna you know Kelowna and Brandon had the best teams in the regular season so both of them could be in the Memorial Cup final I I suspect that you know if somehow Sue went out in the second round by by you know 
by losing to somebody they shouldn't. He'd be right in, in Oklahoma City playing. I'm not sure what the rules are on Dreisaitl. He has yeah. been signed, and he wouldn't be on their minor. He wouldn't be on their farm team playoff roster because he would have been playing in Kelowna. I mean, Nurse could be there as a you know on an amateur those amateur yeah. tryouts. Drysettle, I'm not sure how that works because he's signed by the Oilers and he was their property for half a season. So I don't know if he could automatically go to to uh, the minor league team to play in the playoffs. We're coming to the end of the season, and we have seen some upticks in play from you know some of the top line players on the Oilers: Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Eberle, and Neil Yakupov. The question is, how much stock should we place in these showings here late in the season, or the, you know, at least since January? Uh, is it an illusion, or is it a, is it a, the real thing, or is it too early to tell? We have to wait till next year again. I think it's too early to tell. I mean, you know, there's there are games they're playing against teams that are fighting for a playoff spot, so I think you can put some value in that. But these are also players that have to sort of get off to a better start at the start of the season. I mean, it doesn't do the team any good to have them sort of racking up the points at the end when they don't um they're not going anywhere and I think you know to his credit Jordan Eberle sort of admitted that himself I mean he acknowledges that this point production he's had lately should have been there at the start of the season and it wasn't so I don't think you can dismiss it but I think you know they have to sort of I mean there's no pressure on them right now so you you wonder how much is that playing into this or will they be able to take it into next season let's see them play rack up points against the team that's really good and is going to win a Stanley Cup late in, in, in or like when they played the Winnipeg when Jets they when they played the Winnipeg Jets who yeah. are in the playoffs yeah. now yeah. they got toasted 4 to 1 yeah. and you know the orders were badly outplayed now they're playing Dallas tonight Dallas is still kind of in the playoff as Colorado was the other night I'd be shocked if it's not a high scoring game tonight 5-4 or 4-3 or something like that so the offensive players will probably get, you know, do well tonight. But, yeah, it's tough. You know, let's see how they do against, you know, a, a nice barometer will be when they play the L.A. Kings yeah. twice down the stretch. You know, L.A. has got to win the game. So chances of those games being 2-1 is, is pretty high. In, in a very strange and uh, unsatisfying way, uh, the pressure comes off in Edmonton very early in the season. There's no possibility of making the playoffs, a very limited possibility. Now you're just trying to play and try to do well and, you know, generally perform. And uh, we've seen in the past where late in the seasons, we had years ago, Gagne, Nelson, and and Cogliano lit it up, and they won a whole bunch of games, and they didn't miss the playoffs by much in the end. But that was kind of fool's gold. I don't think that that was a real situation. Um, it's a lot more. I think it's a lot more uh, telling when you're in the mix. You're 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 fighting for a playoff spot, and, and game in game out, you need to do it, and you need to win. Here, yeah, they get a few goals and they don't win, or they get a few goals and they do win. It's the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's it's like playing tennis without a net. I mean, you know, what's the difference? We're getting to the end of the season, and we're we're just trying to you know look good and have some chemistry. It, it, it's a completely different dynamic, it seems to me. I agree totally with Jordan. That's He's got a, the offensive guy's got to be lighting it up from October 9th till, you know, middle of December. So the orders get off to better starts and they're winning those games then, you know, when everybody's on, you know, equal footing. And uh, 
not late in the season yeah. when the, when the you know as John pointed out the wins and losses they don't matter and the stat statistical part really doesn't matter it matters most to the coach Todd Nelson I think to try to win games right now so you know he can convince Craig McTavish that he's the guy that should be leading the team forward I think but the actual individual statistics look good on paper but yeah. but in uh, their nice fodder to say that okay Jordan Everly is now in the top 30 in NHL scoring which is probably where you know he figures he should be anyway and you know and Jordan Everly is now in the top you know 40 some so but you know it's kind of moot I would sus- suspect it's gonna be a little harder to win these games down the stretch here with that makeshift defense they have going on that injuries to Andrew Ference and Mark Fain and now what, Nikita Nikitin and J- Justin Schultz are the only two defensemen on the roster right now that started the season uh, on the NHL team, and the rest of them are all from Oklahoma City. So that's another talk about talk about that for me. Well, if you're Richard Backman tonight, you probably feel very comfortable because they're all in Oklahoma City with you for most of the year, or for half the yeah, year. Yeah, you got anyway. Jimmy Ben and uh, Tatters again. Yeah, that's going to be a, a test, Coming down a the really ring. good test. But hey. You got to take a look at some of these defensemen, and I think, I think, you know, I, I think Davidson's kind of been Brandon Davidson's been off the radar a bit, but I think, I think there's some feeling that he could be Keith Ollie on the Edmonton Oilers. I, you know, I think they feel he's the same sort of, you know, reasonably aggressive defensive defenseman, and, you know, he could be, you know, Keith Ollie if they don't want to sign Keith Ollie again next year. So. You got to take a look at the players, and unfortunately for the minor league team, they've got a bunch of injuries at forward. And uh, Jerry Fleming, who took over for Todd Nelson, probably doesn't want to see any of his players called up to the Oilers at this late juncture because his team has kind of dropped off with all the injuries, and and they're not the top team in the league anymore. But um, young guys, they don't care about the minors until the playoffs start. They want to be in the NHL. Yeah, it is uh, addition time. You mentioned the defense, and they're also hurting up front without Hendricks and Boyd Gordon. I mean, that's going to hurt them as well. But, uh, yeah, I actually talked to uh, Bill Scott today about the situation. I mean, trying to patch together a roster in Edmonton and, you know, pillaging Oklahoma City. And at one point last week they had 10 forwards and two defensemen that were out for injuries, and that didn't include any of their call-ups. So they've been in a real bind down there. But, you know, as you said, the the guys that are up here getting whatever playing time they're going to get with the Oilers right now is only going to benefit the development of them when they head back to Oklahoma City for the playoff runs. So, you know, I mean, as we've said, the wins and losses don't matter now. So if, if they want to look at these guys, and Brandon Davidson probably is the best one to look at. As Maddie mentioned, um, he may have had a better look at the start of the season, but he had a hernia through camp. He missed through camp. So this is sort of his chance now to say, okay, I, I might be ready for next fall. I, I mean, it's time for these guys to be selfish. I mean, more time, more ice time for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's Marinson or Brandon Davidson or whoever whoever's out there, this is their opportunity to play in different situations and and carve out a niche for themselves, begin to get a reputation within the organization as somebody to be relied on. And, uh, I mean, it's not complicated. You go out and do it. I think it's far more valuable for the co- management to see the players from the farm team playing now than in mm-hmm. training camp against half rosters. Yeah. At least they're playing against teams with, you know, in a lot of cases, r- real NHL rosters. And while the points don't matter to the Oilers, you know, statistically, th- for the younger players, they want to see them playing against teams with a little something at stake. 
rather than half a roster in training camp where it's a little more difficult to pick, you know, decide, okay, is this guy an NHL or not? Go back to the offense more. Uh, my last talk about today, I want to talk about uh, Todd Nelson sticking with his line combos. Uh, Taylor Hall came back Saturday against Philadelphia, and he'll once again be on a line third straight, the fourth straight game uh, with uh, Anton Landers as center and Andrew Miller on the wing. Uh, you know, Nelson has this tendency to, to stick with with his line combos. Yeah, he's he's proven that since he's been up. He he lets them develop some chemistry. I think that's, you know, with Derek Roy and Neil Yakupov was probably, you know, they sort of got, he hasn't separated them two, the, the two of them, sorry, since uh, Derek was brought in. And, you know, he's um, he likes what he's seen of Pouliot up top with Everly and Nugent Hopkins. And they have to have, I mean, as much as the default line is to go back and put Taylor up on that top line, they have to have some secondary scoring, and you can't always rely on one line, which this team hasn't had that sort of mixture before. So if nothing else, it gives them a bit of a look and see what they have. And it gives Anton Lander a good opportunity to show what he can do as well, so it benefits him as well. I agree totally, and I except the fourth line against the Dallas Stars will be <laughs> Rob Klinkhammer playing well, yes, with Luke, Luke Gazdick and Matt Fraser on the wing. So I don't think we'll see a lot of that fourth line tonight. <laughs> the, uh, Klinkhammer said he's been practicing getting down on one knee to win a face-off like, like <laughs> Boyd, Boyd Gordon does, and he said, uh, he says, Boyd's used to playing a 200-foot game. I usually only play 180, so he left him. Well, Boyd practically does a splits when he's uh, taking it face It might be why he's there. got back issues. Maybe, yeah. So that'll be a little different. But, yeah, sticking with the lines, and I agree totally with Joanne. It doesn't hurt to spread it around a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's got he's got several portable wingers that he can move. Purcell can play seemingly yes. with whomever, and, and Pouliot can as well. So those sort, those two wingers can, they're much like David Perron. They can kind of move up and down the top nine, and that's always what you want. You don't always want the same guys with the same guys, and, you know, it's, it's no different than... So few lines in the NHL anyway that stay together. Well, it's usually duos, right? Yeah. Like you keep a pair together, but... The only line I can think of in the NHL that always stays together is the Tampa Bay line with yeah. Johnson, Kucherov, and Palat there. They play together every game, but most teams don't, so... <laughs> We're talking about a last-place team or a, you know, a 28th, 28th place team. Place team. Yeah, oh, last, they're 28. Yeah. Buffalo's closing in on the Closing in on the Leafs micro, for 27. Micromanaging... Uh, ben Scrivens, win back... Yeah, uh, micromanaging which guy plays with which guy on what line to me is uh, <laughs> low on the priority, but that's just me. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, you know, Curry and Gretzky out there. We're talking about guys who are, you know, struggling to really establish themselves for the most part. I mean, good God. Well, let's talk about the owner's pursuit of Matt O'Connor, the goaltender then for Boston University. That will be next year, and... and uh, I'm sure the Oilers are in there running with Buffalo and uh, the New York Rangers and the Ottawa Senators. and I'm sure he's taking a look at the Buffalo Sabres goaltending depth and the Edmonton Oilers goaltending depth, and they're high on his list, and uh, we'll see if they want to go and sign a college free agent goalie. I think that would be a, a, a good move, considering Lauren Bressois is really the only goalie in the minor league on you know, the prospect chain who looks like you know an NHLer down the road. New York Rangers. They already have two good goalies. Well, but his tie-in there is that K 
Kevin Hayes plays for the mm-hmm. Rangers. He played for Boston University, so uh, maybe that's what their tie-in is. And, you know, Buffalo's close to Toronto, where Matt O'Connor's from. So, right. Well, just you know, the goalie uh, carousel there. Maybe a, a goalie pops out for someone else to get, like the Oilers. But the Oilers don't win many of these races no. for these college free agents. And I, these college free agents anyway, are such a crapshoot. Everybody wants to sign them. And I would still say that it's no better than 50-50 that you sign these college free agents and they turn out to be American League players. They're not NHL players or borderline NHL players. Or potential Norris Trophy players. Or, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I know the Leafs are making a big deal about signing some college player named Casey Bailey or something, and he played about six minutes last night, you know. So, I mean, it's... it's uh, hit or miss, and certainly hit or miss with goaltenders, but, you know, if the Oilers aren't going to draft any goaltenders, they better try to sign a free agent. Thanks very much. We'll do this again. Okay. Thank you.